When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Golf Unfiltered Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. You've heard me talk about Cog Hill every single episode this season, and we will continue to do so because they are one of the premier golf destinations in the Chicagoland area. Featuring 72 holes of championship golf, including the world-famous Dubs Dread, Cog Hill has just upgraded their entire practice academy to include Top Tracer, two bars, a food truck, and a full family experience that anyone will enjoy. Go out to coghillgolf.com to learn more. We are also brought to you by our friends over at WorldwideGolfShops.com. If you're looking to upgrade your game this year, or if you're just trying to pick up some new pieces of golf apparel, or even some training aids to help you score better, WorldwideGolfShops.com has you covered. The best part about this website is they always offer incredible deals on some of the newest equipment, even just days after its release. Once again, it's WorldwideGolfShops.com. Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. Hello to everyone in YouTube land. That is Will Bardwell. He appear- Will, you're basically the resident legal expert for all of golf Twitter now, I think. Uh, that is a sad statement about uh, the, the services that Golf Twitter has available to it. But as with anything else um, in legal services, you get what you pay fair. for. So, Fair enough, fair enough. Well, the reason that we I had you on, thank you so much for doing this. Um, earlier this week, obviously sure, the big news in pro golf, at least, is the lawsuit that was filed by 11 former PGA Tour players against the PGA Tour. Uh, you wrote an excellent piece on your lying4.com website, uh, aptly entitled, and here we go, uh, where you kind of break down the finer points of the lawsuit for the layman. And I think to discuss this particular topic, obviously you being the expert in terms of the legalese and many other things, it all begins, and let me know if I have this right, it begins with what we saw earlier this week, which was filing a complaint. And so maybe start with what does that even mean? So a complaint is just a document that you use to start a lawsuit. That's all that is. Um, In the old days, you you, you hear people talk about filing a complaint or filing a motion. In the old days, uh, you, you would literally, you know, you would type up your your document. You would type up your mm-hmm. complaint, uh, which just has you know it names who the plaintiffs are, who the defendants are, uh, what you say they did wrong, what legal rights they violated, and what you want. You would type that up, sign it. You would walk it down to the courthouse, and you would hand it to the mm-hmm. clerk, and they would literally pull out a file folder and stick your document in there, and that would be your file. Mm-hmm. And every time you had something new to file, they would, you know, same thing. You would walk it down there. You would hand it to them. Uh, they would stick it in your file. And, you know, whenever the judge wanted to 
you know, make rulings in your case or needed to look at something, they would go pull your file. And it was a literal file folder. We still use that word today, although, of course, it's not done like that anymore. It's all done electronically. But anytime you hear somebody say file, that's all that means. So if, when you file a complaint, that is just a, a short, simple statement of what the case is about. And uh, that is the document that starts a lawsuit. Got it. And in your piece that you wrote on lying4.com, you mentioned the length of this particular document was of note, being 105 pages. Yeah, well, I used the phrase uh, short, simple statement a minute ago. That is not a, a phrase that I made up. That's the phrase that the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure uses uh, in terms of what your complaint is required to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It, you know, It's not unusual to see perfectly valid complaints that are four or five pages mm. long. Um, the fact that this one is 105 pages um, doesn't mean that it's any better or worse than a, a complaint that is more typical. But uh, it, when you see a complaint this long, it, it generally means that the, the plaintiff's attorneys are trying to send mm. a message early on that, um, that there's a lot to talk about in this case. So in this case, what the 11 players, uh, headed by names such as Phil Mickelson, of course, Bryson DeChambeau, others, what they are alleging, is it even appropriate to say that there's an, uh, something is being alleged right now? Yeah, and in fact, that is, that is exactly the word, because a complaint is not evidence. It's just one side's version of the story. Okay. And so all the entire complaint at this point, all it is is allegations that have not yet been proven. And, you know, from the tourist standpoint, might never be proven. But there's no evidence in the case yet. These are just purely allegations. Okay. And so what is being alleged right now, and I'm just going to try to summarize and please help me fill in the gaps, is it's an antitrust. Uh, it's going in that direction, essentially, where it, uh, they are accusing the PGA Tour of monopolistic anti-competitive behavior. Correct. Um, yeah, there's there are two claims under the Sherman Act, which is a federal law uh, that prohibits certain uh, antitrust uh, violations. Uh, there is also a claim under the California equivalent of the Sherman Act. Um, but the gist of the argument is that the PGA Tour has misused its monopoly position uh, in an anti-competitive mm. way. And you know, you've heard a lot of people who, who've been skeptical of this lawsuit say things, well, like, well, what, what are they expected to do? You know, they live is the other side. Of course, they're supposed to fight mm. back. Well, like, there's, there's a fundamental difference between out-competing the other side and being anti-competitive. Mm. If, um, you know, if you and I own hamburger restaurants across the street from each other and your hamburgers taste better than mine, they're cheaper than mine, your restaurant is cleaner than mine, you've got better outdoor seating, you've got better beer specials, mm. um, then I'm going to go out of business. And it's not because you uh, misused your monopoly authority. It's just that you... You outcompeted. Fair me. enough, and that's that's perfectly fine. But if you start squeezing my suppliers by saying, you know, hey, you better not sell cheese to Bardwell anymore, mm -hmm. or else 
I'm going to do such and so. You better not uh, sell Bardwell any more beer or else blah, blah, blah. Well, that's different. That's anti-competitive. And if you held a monopoly on the cheeseburger restaurant industry and tried to squeeze me out that way, well, at that point, you have created uh, antitrust questions. So that's a good analogy because – from my point of view, and I imagine many people listening to this and on, on social media and, and whatnot, it almost seems like that's exactly what the PGA Tour is attempting to do right now. And I think that was the crux of what your, your article was about. Yeah, and look, there are nuts and bolts in um, antitrust law in particular. Antitrust law is kind of a weird uh, area of mm. law. There are finer points in there that will be argued uh, uh, until uh, until people are blue in the face about it, but just looking at the broad strokes of it, look, I, this is nothing new. The PGA Tour has expected litigation mm-hmm, right. for this since the very beginning, and I have to believe that is uh, at least partially out of the recognition that this strategy against Live was going to at least invite questions about whether they have. Uh, whether they've run afoul of antitrust prohibitions. Um, I think this, you know, who the hell knows how this is going to go, but it certainly appears to be a serious case. Another, I guess, interesting element of this particular case is the um, restraining order that was also filed by three players, uh, Taylor Gooch and a couple others, for example, that, previously qualified for the FedEx Cup playoffs that begin next week at the time of this recording, and they want to play again. So what? how does that wrinkle things? Well, let's start first with the uh, nomenclature. Mm-hmm. So when, when most people hear the, the term restraining order, you know, they think of um, like maybe a, a, an abusive, right. uh, domestic abuse situation mm-hmm. where a, a battered wife has to get a court order for her uh, abusive husband to stay away, or something like that. But that's this when people hear restraining mm-hmm. order, uh, that that's what they think of a, a temporary restraining order <clears throat> in the uh, civil litigation context is is not like that at all. All it means is that it temporarily restrains a party, usually the defendant, mm-hmm. from engaging in behavior that the other party claims is violating its legal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so the um, in this case, those three players have asked the judge for a short-term order, temporary, uh, that the PGA Tour not prevent them from participating in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Mm. Now, this is this is not usually a step that occurs. It's I wouldn't call it rare by any means, but... Um, Usually, lawsuits do not involve this step. Okay. Usually, the the first few months of a lawsuit are pretty boring. But this is um, this is going to be a, a big deal right off the bat. There'll be a hearing on Tuesday on this motion. Um, I, I assume there will be witnesses put on. Uh, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. But this certainly seems like a uh, a fact intensive case that would need. Uh, evidence put on and um, it'll look a lot like a little mini trial Mm. 
at the end of which, um, at some point before Thursday, the judge will need to make a decision uh, about whether the players are entitled to this short-term order, mm-hmm. this temporary restraining order. Now, one of the things the judge will have to decide at the end of having heard all this evidence is whether those players have demonstrated that they are likely to win this lawsuit. Mm. And so whatever the judge rules, the side that wins is going to feel pretty good. Now, whatever the judge rules about that, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to go at the end of the day. You know, the judge could certainly go one way on this temporary restraining order, and then the, the case could go the other way at the end of the day. But anytime you file a, um, a motion for a TRO uh, and you, you win on that motion, you walk away from that feeling pretty good about mm-hmm. your chances in the case overall. So you would know this a lot better than I, but I imagine there's always some form of strategy with the timing of things. And it struck me as interesting that the complaint was filed at this time after three live events and just before the FedEx Cup playoffs. Is there any strategy behind that? It's not impossible. Um, I would say the probably the easiest way to um, to suggest that it, it wasn't a coincidence. It's just that the complaint's 105 pages. Right. You know, the 105 page complaint does not write itself. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it's it's difficult, especially with law firms of this caliber. There are going to be a lot of layers of review. Uh, it's possible it just took a long time to put together. Um, and frequently, when you are seeking preliminary injunctive relief, either through a motion for a TRO or a motion for a preliminary injunction, which is just sort of a more long-term mm-hmm. uh, TRO. Um, if you, Generally, if you do that and you walk into the judge's courtroom and you say, oh, and by the way, we need you to do this right now, um, that's a pretty good way to piss the judge off. Yeah, I imagine. Say, well, you know, why, why are you just showing up now? Right. Uh, why, why weren't you here last month? Um and so my guess is, and these lawyers uh, are unbelievably talented lawyers. They would know that. I, I doubt very much that they did this in an effort to uh, try to put the judge over a barrel. Fair enough. Fair enough. And and the reason I bring it up is because I know there's already been some chatter about, oh, the timing of this and it's interfering with, you know, some of the, the, the women's golf events that are going on and, and all that. So, but that makes complete sense. This is not a brief document. No, I, I think it probably just – and these things always take longer mm-hmm. than you think they're going to take. Uh, and by that, I mean preparing a document like this, especially at this length. So uh, I think the likeliest explanation is just that it took a long time to put together, and you know, they, as soon as it was ready, they, they went to the courthouse. Fair enough. So taking a step out of the actual – document itself and more towards what people are chatting about, uh, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is that originally the messaging that we all know was BS of wanting to spend more time with family and playing less golf. Now people are saying, oh, they're trying to play more golf. Uh, and this also comes on the heels of the announcement from Live that next year Asian tour events will have to be played by a lot of these players or at least strongly recommended. What do you make? Uh, what sense do you make of all of this? 
the Asian tour aspect of it. That and the fact that now people, uh, the 11 uh, players want to play more golf now. It seems that way, at least. Yeah. I don't necessarily see anything about that that undermines uh, the claims they've made. I mean, the, the claims at the end of the day are just that you know, the, uh, the PGA Tour is engaging in anti-competitive behavior mm-hmm. against live. And honestly, I suppose you could make an argument that the fact that these players are going to have to play on an inferior tour like the Asian tour just to have OWGR opportunities, I suppose you could argue that that supports the argument Mm -hmm. that they're making. It it supports the notion that the PGA tour has, uh, has blackballed them out of the major pro golf landscape Yeah, to a degree that is anti-competitive. Okay. That makes sense to me as well. And, you had uh, shared a text not too long ago um, in our in our group chat that we have that there are some questions that arise regarding how the PGA Tour could even respond to this, as well as how does this lessen the competitive nature of their tour? Um, you know, some moves that are being insinuated by the plaintiffs in this instance where, you know what, the PGA Tour is only doubling down on some of this behavior. I mean, uh, maybe expand on that a little bit. Where, where does the PGA Tour stand on all this right now? Well, you know, I've talked about this with a couple of different people, and each time I've found myself using the phrase, uh, I'll be interested to see what they have to say. Mm. And I, that sounds like the sort of thing you hear on sports talk radio right. all the time, you know, right. Where somebody's just filling time yeah. and say, well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but truly I am very curious to know what the PGA tour has to say about this, mm. because it, it has been obvious to a lot of people for a long time that there was going to be litigation about this, that it was probably going to involve questions of, uh, antitrust violations and that at least at first blush, those appear to be serious questions. Mm. And so what is what is the explanation here? You know, there are allegations in this complaint that are just difficult to explain with any other explanation that, that they were anti-competitive. You know, mm-hmm. there's the story of Andy Ogletree um, completely – ineligible for any tour event or KFT event, uh, asking for permission to go play in the live event and being told drop dead, basically. (laughs) Those are my words, not theirs. And he, you know, he asked the question, what am I expected to do? Sit on my couch and not make money. Mm -hmm. Um, it is difficult to come up with any explanation for why the tour would insist that he, you know, in Andy's words, sit on his couch, mm-hmm. other than that they were trying to keep a player away from live out of an anti-competitive motivation. Mm. And so I am truly interested to know, like, what is, what is their explanation for this? You know, is there, is there some other way of looking at this other than that you were just being anti-competitive? So I'm, I, I can't wait to hear what they have to say. I've been, I've been wondering for months. 
We'll be back with Will here in a second, but really quick, folks, I need to tell you that we have partnered with Gooder Sunglasses. If you wear sunglasses when you play golf, like I do, you understand how important a lightweight pair of premium-style sunglasses are, and that's why we partnered with Gooder. Go to Gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com today, and use promo code NOFILTER to get 15% off on your next order. These sunglasses only cost 25 bucks. There's a mountain of different styles that you can choose from, and now you can get a little uh, little extra off the top. No filter at G-O-O-D-R.com. Go today. Do it right now. Okay, here's Will. Yeah, I mean, framing it that way makes a ton of sense, and it's a matter of what the PGA Tour has been saying, even in the memo that they... Uh, sent out to the current PGA Tour members saying that, oh, the, the, Liv is trying to leverage something off of you and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. And plus, on the other side of this, we now have PGA Tour players, Justin Thomas, uh, Billy Horschel first, saying that, well, if they sue us, they're suing me. I mean, is there any credence to that? Suppose you could, you know, if you're Billy's CPA... <laughs> Suppose you might wring your hands over the possibility that if you play this thing out, you know, years from now and the tour is more financially strapped than it is now and can't offer big enough purses anymore that, um, you know, that Billy won't be able to afford uh, his, you know, top of the line Ralph Lauren uh, trousers anymore. Um, But... I mean, the, the players do not have an equity stake in the PGA Tour, uh, you know, in the same way, like if I'm a if I'm a shareholder in, say, Amazon mm-hmm. and Amazon gets sued, then theoretically, I have a financial stake in that litigation. Um, I, you could make the argument that at least in my capacity as an Amazon shareholder, I'm being sued. But, but the players don't have an equity stake in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's more of a just a narrative sort of thing than anything else. Yeah, fair enough. And I wonder if it's a matter of, well, I know it's a matter of them continuing to drive this divide between it's us or them type mentality, which I think this was ultimately sure. going to be the way, at least, and it will be uh, for the foreseeable future. So, you mentioned in your article, again, on Line4.com, uh, you mentioned that not only is this complaint extremely compelling, uh, but am I correct, and I don't want you to speculate by any means, but it seems like this is a very, uh, the, things are leaning in the favor of live at least right now. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say this is a serious lawsuit. Mm. And if you're billion dollar enterprise like the PGA Tour, you don't like to be involved in serious litigation, especially when that litigation is against uh, an existential threat. Right. This is um, this is not great for the tour. And anytime you look, anytime you're in litigation, anything can happen, mm. especially if you're talking about litigation where a jury trial has been requested like this. Anything can happen. You you'd really would rather that the future of your tour not be in the hands of people outside your tour. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that the tour now is in this position is in and of itself a huge pain in the ne- pain in the neck mm-hmm. and um, 
and not, you know, if you're the tour is not good. Now that doesn't necessarily mean the tour is going to lose. You know, if you were setting odds on this thing, it doesn't mean that the tour would be the underdog, but um, it's not good. Right. (laughs) Forgive me for this. Uh, This is where my ignorance comes in. I mean, is this a matter where there's going to be a winner or a loser or and, and or a loser, or is there any room for a settlement of some sort down the road? You know, I, there's a great line in a terrible movie. Um, the second Matrix movie, <laughs> The Matrix Reloaded, yeah. where um, the um, character called the architect, who's mm-hmm. sort of in charge of the Matrix, uh, is threatening the star, Keanu Reeves, uh, Neo, with, uh, with some outcome. And, and Neo points out that the, if he goes through with this, that it would basically destroy the matrix and the architect's answer to that is something like there are levels of survival that we are willing to accept Mm. and so i think about that in the context of settlements a lot like are there levels of survival here that you are willing to accept the answer to that is almost always yes Mm-hmm. There's almost always room for some sort of a compromise. And any time, you know, I, my philosophy as a litigator is always if you can settle the case, if there's any chance at all, settle it. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want is to turn this thing over to people whose decision making is completely out of your control. Mm-hmm. If you're involved in a settlement, you're going to have to give up some stuff you don't want to give up. But at least you are in control of that. At least you get to say at the end of the day, yes or no. You turn it over to a judge or a jury, you have absolutely no control over what happens. And so if there's any way at all to settle it, you settle it. I have to believe there is some sort of arrangement that the tour could accept. Mm-hmm. Now, you know how good or how bad that is for the tour, uh, honestly, this, uh, this TRO hearing on Tuesday will probably say a lot about which side has more leverage over the other because if you you know let's say you're the tour let's say you go through this hearing on tuesday and you win Mm -hmm. and the judge declines to grant the temporary restraining order well at that point you feel you feel great about this the way this lawsuit has started and uh the first time you have settlement negotiations with the other side and they come at you with an offer that you don't like you say Look, dude, we just went to a TRO hearing and, and won right out of the gate. I don't have to take a bad settlement offer from you. In fact, here's here's my settlement offer, and it involves you jumping off a bridge. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, whoever wins this thing is going to have a lot of leverage in those negotiations right off the bat. Do you foresee in any way, shape, or form, and this is pure speculation, I understand, but these two entities surviving at the same time. Is that where we end up in the everything? I have a hard time believing that at the end of all this, the PGA Tour shutters its doors. I also have a hard time believing that at the end of the day, the Saudis just walk away from this thing. Right. Um, I think, put it this way, I think 10 years from now, there will be something called Live Golf and there will be something called the PGA Tour. Mm. What those two entities look like 
probably turns a lot on what happens in this case. Uh, you know, are they two both still co-dominant figures in uh, professional golf? Has one of them basically beaten the other? Uh, remains to be seen. But I, I would be very surprised if 10 years from now, one of them has completely killed the other. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And it'll be interesting because when I view this, and once again, folks, we're talking to Will Bardwell of Lying4.com. Uh, go out and read his excellent piece. And here we go is the title of it. Um, I sometimes wonder if this is what, you know, you think about all these mergers and you, these other elements of other professional sports, whether it be professional football, the two leagues combining, whether it be whatever else. I wonder if this is a turning point in professional athletics in any shape or form that might be the precedent for something moving forward. Well, we won't know now, of course, time will tell, but in the grand scheme of things, in your opinion, from a historic standpoint of sports, does this, where does this rank? Well, at least within the, um, at least within the history of the tour, this is the greatest existential threat that the tour has ever faced. I think it's interesting that the tour is facing this for the first time. You know, you mentioned the NFL and the AFL, but the NFL is not the only major sports circuit in America that has faced a major threat to its dominance. Uh, in fact, the, the NFL has done it a couple of times, right? There's been the right. AFL and the USFL. Um, but the NHL has had a couple of upstart rivals over the years, which there was the ABA. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hell, you, you could even maybe point at the XFL, uh, the first XFL as a you know, pain in the NFL's neck, at least. Right. Um, it's kind of unusual that the PGA Tour has never had to deal with this, other than the World Golf Tour thing. It wasn't a, at the end of the day, wasn't it? was a very short-lived threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have wondered whether the fact that the Tour doesn't have this sort of thing baked into its DNA whether that is contributing to what has appeared to me to be a pretty ham-handed response. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the fact that they've never had to fight for their lives before. Uh, Is that contributing to what appears to be a pretty sloppy strategy on their part? I, I don't know. Yeah, time will tell for sure. I'm wondering also if this is just a matter of the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour combining and forming something like the World Golf Association or something of that nature. Because certainly, if anything, we've learned, we've learned that the PGA Tour cannot handle this by themselves. Uh, they don't have any way, in my opinion, of doing so financially, nor <laughs> they don't know what they're doing, it seems like, at this point. Well, there's also the possibility that, um, I mean... I realize people are mad at each other right now, but sort of along the the model that the Premier Golf League was proposing there in the end, is there a way for Liv and the PGA Tour to merge, where Liv sort of operates as the Champions League of uh, pro golf and the PGA Tour is sort of operating uh, supplemental to that? I I wouldn't want to describe it as underneath that, but... um, is there a chance of that? I, I don't know. They may hate each other too much at this point to describe it. But again, you when you start talking about are there levels of survival you're willing to accept? Uh, if you're the tour, would you accept that over 
being relegated to basically being a minor league of right. professional golf, um, maybe you would. Yeah, I think survival at this point is probably ideal for all sides. Uh, and it's just going to be a matter of, as you mentioned, how this trial goes ne- or yeah, the trial, the hearing yeah. goes next next week. Uh, on August 9th, at least the time of this recording. So, well, sir, I'm sure uh, we will be staying in touch as we do. And uh, once again, go out to lying4.com to read Will Bardwell's uh, update on the ongoing litigation between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Will, thanks so much for hopping on this morning. My pleasure, dude. Talk soon.